Greetings, this is Pastor A.J. Swanson from Hicksville Cornerstone Church. We're so excited that you've joined us as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew and the Kingdom of Heaven. We hope this sermon series encourages you. Today, well last week, last week, I left all of you on a cliffhanger. I promise I will not do that again today. Uh, In a way, today's sermon is an ending of sorts. For the verse that we come to in Matthew 7, 14, uh, forms an inclusio with Matthew 5, 17. Uh, An inclusio in Hebrew literature um, is kind of a way, audibly, to let the audience know that this section is coming towards a conclusion. It's an echo in the text, something that was said earlier on that is echoed later on to let us know that this portion has come to an end. So even though the Sermon on the Mount is not ending, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is ending. For those of you hoping that I'm going to answer last week's cliffhanger right off the bat, I'm going to apologize now. I want to set up the text as I'm supposed to. And then we're going to see how the text answers last week's cliffhanger about wisdom and judgment and logs and discernment. And hopefully it will give you a more full-orbed view of what Jesus is trying to communicate in his most famous sermon. So let's not wait any longer. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he has asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then, you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Father God, I ask that you would meet us within the text this morning. Lord, we are reminded that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So Lord, as the text is proclaimed this morning, we ask that it would move us in such a way as to consider how we pray, how we ask, how we seek, how we knock again and again. Your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning about a, with a story of three fathers with three children. Look, I know from last week's sermon, I said we're not to judge, right? That's what the text said. Uh, but we're going to judge these three, uh, not to do it with a critical spirit. Uh, know that we're capable of being like any of these three fathers. But hear the parable. Father A is a harsh father. 
His children can barely do anything right, and he lets them know about that on a fairly regular basis. His children are not particularly interested in being around him, let alone asking their father for anything. For time and time again, they are met with reproof, frustration, and and accusations. Father A is an alpha, and he lets everyone know it, for no one will reach his standard. Father B is an abundant father. He is so giving that his children never go for need or want. Whatever they ask, he showers upon them. Good food? Check. Basic income? Check. Bonus income for hobbies? Check. He'll give them that too. So much is the abundance does the father give that the children have actually never heard the term no uttered from his mouth. It is such a foreign suffering to them. At this point, they equate no with terrible suffering. But he is giving. Father C is a giving father. He gives great gifts, yes. He gives good advice, yes. He gives you wisdom, yes. And he will give you answers to all requests. However, the answer is sometimes not what we want or expect. Above all, other descriptions of Father C is the description, good father. Now, be honest. Most days... Which father would you rather have? Which father would you rather have? Some of us have experienced the trauma of Father A. And let's call a spade a spade. Evil men exist. Men, this can describe us at our worst moments, especially when we're irritable. I was writing the sermon this week, was exhausted, and had a child come to me for a request at 10 p.m., far past their bedtime, right? This can easily be us. And according to last week's sermon, the same standard you used to judge will be used to judge you. Father A is harsh and dogmatic. Most days, I want Father B. And there's plenty of Father Bs, right? It's much easier to pay off your children than to discipline them. If you buy them a new toy, they more than likely won't bother you with your toys. And the reason I want Father B most days is because it's what makes me most comfortable. Why? Because my desires are the center of my life, and Father B pays for them. Father B seems all about me. However, for those of us who live in reality, most of the time, Father B is all about him and his comfort. Father C, I think, is the ideal father we would like. And at least, at least when our rational like, faculties are functioning, right? I think it's the father all the men in the room desire to be. Men, this is what we should be striving for. One that requires 
wisdom, patience, self-sacrifice. Father C and being Father C can be very uncomfortable, even sacrificial. But this is who we're shooting for. Why? Because this is who our Heavenly Father is. This is who our Heavenly Father is. Here's the potential problem. Some of you are going to read today's verse and you're going to immediately put Father B in this category. Why? Because you've not read the rest of the text. You've not seen it in concert. So you think God just must be a given God that gives, off, gives everything we ask for, right? Other problem. Some of, us have, some of us have only experienced Father A. And so Father C seems unimaginable. And because of that, we've never actually gone to our Father with, with requests. And we have to learn as Christians to hold to the truths of Scripture and know that we can and know that we have a Father who is eager to hear them. The other question we're going to strive to answer today in light of the passage of the parable is this. What type of child does each father produce? Father A many times will produce a hurt child. Hurt children tend to do two different things. These are not limiting. They can do many different things. But hurt people tend to hurt people. It breeds a cycle. Or hurt people retreat from having a sweet relationship with Yahweh God that our Heavenly Father offers. Church, the way we love our neighbor combats this type of thinking for those who have gone through these trials. May we love others as God has loved us. Child B will be a spoiled one. Every single culture who tells stories, we'll call them fairy tales, right? Every single mythos of every culture has the spoiled brat in their vernacular. They all have it. It exists everywhere. Child C has the potential to reflect the golden rule, which we're going to end with today. For the greatest gift that the child C has received from his father is the same gift given to all the children of God. What is that? Grace. Sweet grace. Over and over again. When a good father answers yes to a prayer, grace. When a good father answers no to a prayer, grace. When a good father answers not yet to a prayer, grace. Now let's dive deeper into the text today. Ask, seek, knock. If, if you see, if you're reading your Bibles and you see a threefold use of some sort of verb, pay attention. This is a literary vice to get our attention. There's emphasis here. Emphasis on what? Action. Ask, it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. What will? What are the threefold requests asking? Verse 11 answers, good things. We're asking for good things. Well, what are the good things the Bible speaks of? 
That's a good question, right? Is it a new truck? If I ask God for a truck, what makes it a good truck? Is it a Chevy? Is it a Ford? Surely not a Toyota. I got an amen somewhere over here. <laughs> what about riches? I'm not talking like lotto riches. Well, maybe not Powerball riches. Maybe small lotto riches, right? What if it's just like a, a, a nice bonus? Can I ask for that? Is that considered a good thing? What about less pain in my neck or my back? Can I be asking the, the Father for that? What are the good things that we should be asking, seeking, and knocking for? What are the good things that we should be asking, seeking, and knocking for? Why do I emphasize good things? Because the Bible tells us we ask for bad things all the time. James 4, 2b reminds us of this. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. So what are the good things that Jesus is talking about? The answer actually is quite simple. We've been covering it for the last two months as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount and text as a whole. The good things are the very things Jesus has been preaching on in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he's referring to. Look, we've spent two months going through some pretty hard sayings of Jesus. And this answers last week's question, right? We should be asking, seeking, knocking when it comes to judgment and a discerning spirit. When we don't know whether to cast our pearls before a certain person, our heart's first response should be, Lord, what would you have me do? When we desire to take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye and we're wondering is there a potential log on our own, we should be driven to the throne room of God in prayer. When anxieties hit us, our response should be ask, seek, knock, cry out to God in worry. When we're tempted by the sparkling things of this world like a dragon to gold, we need to cry out to God that we would see them through his lens, through an eternal lens, not a momentary one. When it's hard to pray, when it's hard to fast, what should we do? Pray for God's grace. When we, need, when we see needs that we cannot meet, that was me over and over again this week. When we see needs that we that we could meet, meet, but we don't know whether it'll make us more like Father B or and bring someone to ruin. We ask to do what? Ask for wisdom and seek his counsel. When loving our enemies seem impossible, this should drive us to our knees before it drives us to the sword. When oaths are broken, when lust is at our door, when divorce seems like the only pathway forward, when anger is about to spew forth, Ask, seek, knock. And a good father will respond. Let's be frank. The reason many of us have not overcome sin that has plagued us for years, the reason many of us have not tasted victory in areas of our lives that defeat regularly marks us. The reason we think that God is angry, Father, is because we do not ask for help. 
our prayer life can be pitiful. Even Billy Graham, the Billy Graham, right? The like super evangelist of our age, or you could argue all ages, right? When he was near the end of his life and a reporter asked him, if you could go back in your ministry and change one thing, Billy, what would he be? He said, I would have prayed more. We live in such a fast-paced culture that it is so hard to discipline ourselves to pray. Reuben A. Torrey writes in his book, The Power of Prayer, this is what he says, we do not live in a praying age. We live in the age of hustle and bustle of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things, an age of human organization and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. What we need is not so much some new organization, some new wheel, but the spirit of the living creature and the wheels we already possess. Church, we need to pray more. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this as well as we look at ask, seek, knock again. The verbs in the text here are in the command text, tense in the original language. In the original language, there are two types of command tenses. We don't have these things in English. It's, it, well, we, have a, we don't have a lot of things in English. But it, it, what, it's what, one of the reasons it makes Greek so beautiful, because it puts layers on words, right? And so here, in, in, in Greek, there are two command text tenses. There's a singular one, and there's a repetitive command, right? Here, the verb implies repetition. It is not that we're to ask, seek, knock, pray one time, and then we go, check, done. I did it. I prayed for it. I prayed for healing for grandma. Now, next time I can see her, I tell her I prayed for her. No, the tense here would remind us that we are to persist in our prayers over and over again. Luke 18 has a great parable that goes along with this picture. I believe many of you have probably heard it, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, Jesus, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he, the judge, refused. But afterward, he, the judge, said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find a people who still trust that their prayers will be answered? 
Will he find a people still, per, still persistent in prayer? Or will he find a people who've given up? Who have become discouraged, who have lost hope? Child of God, pray persistently. As 1 Thessalonians 5.17 reminds us, pray without ceasing. As Roman 15.30 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. We are called to persistent, prayerful path. We are called to a persistent, prayerful path. This is hard in our age, right? The majority of things that we do are done with a click of a button, right? Many things are done at the end of the download screen. Everything is going faster and faster, except the DMV, BMV, what do we call it here, right? I get that still slow, right? But everything else is fast. And so it's very hard for us to slow down. And listen, prayer teaches us patience, and prayer builds peace. I I do not doubt that one of the reasons, there are a couple, but one of the reasons we live in the most depressed and anxious age that has ever existed in mankind is because we don't have time to pray. Shocking, I know. We have not cultivated prayer, but we're functional agnostics in our prayer life. So what are we to do? Fathers and mothers, one of the best things you can do for your children is pray for them. Pray for them as they go to school. Pray for them before tests both literal educational ones and trials of life. Pray for them when trials come. Pray out loud. Model it for them. When was the last time you prayed for your kid? Grandparents, do the same thing. I know there's some grandparents watching at home too, new ones. Make it an expectation that when your grandkids leave the house, they're going to get prayed for. Let them be waiting at the front door, right? Why are you not heading to the car? Well, you haven't prayed for me yet. It's what you do, Grandpa. May that be our model. Young men and women, cultivate prayer now during your most formative years. I'll ask you, teenagers, how often do you pray? How often do you pray for anyone else, not just yourself? What a sweet gift you can be to your peers if you pray for them in the halls of your school and on the fields and courts in our community. Pray for your peers. Neighbors, that includes everyone. I don't care if you live out in the country and your nearest neighbor is a mile away, okay? 
who rub shoulders with people all the time. Neighbors. Do not be shy about praying for your neighbors. Now, I'm a professional pastor, right? I'm a professional Christian. Like, everyone expects me to pray. It gets awkward, right? I can be at a friend's house. We should pray for our meal. And then there's this awkward pause because they expect me to do it, right? It's your house. You pray. But people expect me to pray, right? I've been doing this for a while. I have yet to ask somebody if they would like me to pray for them, whether they go to this church or not, where they're like, how dare you? Most people welcome it. I've yet to encounter someone who does not. Pray for your coworkers. I had a dear friend in college. They were known as the prayer warrior in a very unchristian and unreligious community. They were mocked in scorn until life hit the fan. And then you know who everyone went to, whether they believed in God or not? The prayer lady. Pray for your friends. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your bosses. Bosses, pray for your employees. Pray, pray, pray. Be persistent. Older saints, pray for the younger saints. Pray for your children. Pray for your community. Pray that there would be revival. Persist in the path of prayer. Younger saints, mimic your spiritual fathers and mothers. Pray for them. And pray for the same things they pray for. It's not shocking as we look at the history of the church that every single revival in recorded history has been the result of an outpouring or movement of prayer in a community. Shocking. Too many times, right, unfortunately in our nation and in my lifetime, too many times in my lifetime, we've made the national call to prayer an event and not a habit. May it be a habit. Pray. Our church leadership team, our main prayer is that everyone would be a disciple. We pray that all the time. That they would be a follower, a worshiper, and a witness of King Jesus. Join us in that prayer. And pray for more disciples. May our direction always be outward facing towards our neighbor, and may we pray for them. Some questions arise on the topic of prayer that I feel like need to be answered in the midst of the context. Why hasn't God answered my prayer yet? Imagine again a good father. Father C, from our analogy before. I think John Newton describes the yet portion of this question in relation to a good father very well. So I'm going to quote John Newton. He says, The only reason why the Lord seems to delay what he afterward grants is that the best hour is not yet come. The best hour is not yet come. I think he's right. I had a dear friend who had been praying for a spouse for a very, very, very long time. This was a persistent prayer along a very clear path. And it was not until his 40s that the Lord brought him marriage. 
God waited to grant him the gift of marriage for his good. If you would have known him in his 20s, trust me, right? For his good. But what about unanswered prayer? Let's be real. For many of us in this room, this is a very real thing. Some of you are walking or not walking very well through a very difficult season of life. We are praying for healing. We're praying for the Lord's grace and favor. We're praying for a miracle. And each morning you wake up and so far, it hasn't been answered in the way that you want. Again, I'll quote John Newton because I think he says it best. Surely when the Lord crosses our wishes, it is always in mercy. And because we are short-sighted creatures, often we know not what we ask nor what would be the consequences if our desires were granted. We have a good God. This is certain. What isn't for certain is whether healing or comfort or lack of trials or suffering would be good for us or for someone who we're walking through that same trial with. I often wonder this. Why is it that the Apostle Paul could participate in healing ministry, but he couldn't heal the thorn in his flesh that regularly bothered him. Why couldn't Paul do that? The text of Scripture actually grants us this answer. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is what Paul says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ rests upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, is suffering, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This should give us great pause. A, a good father is wise. A good father knows what is best for you and for me. Even when the answer is no to what I suppose would be a very good thing. The verse in 2 Corinthians is not saying that all of you are conceited who are in pain. Please don't hear that. It is saying that God has sufficient reason for your pain. Well, what is it, Lord? <laughs> I got questions. What would the text have us do? Ask. Seek knock. And maybe in this lifetime, the Lord might grant you wisdom like he granted the Apostle Paul in that moment. Why won't you take this thorn from my flesh, God? And at some point, <laughs> the Lord, I, I would love to be there for this prayer inner dialogue, right? Where the Holy Spirit goes, because you're conceited. And you can be a blowhard and arrogant. That's why I give you the thorn in the, the flesh. You think you're bad now. You should see yourself with it, without it. 
he knew it was better for him, even though it brought him much pain. Know this, though, brother or sister dealing with pain or sorrow. If we're in Christ, the answer is always not yet when it comes to pain. For this world will be replaced by a better one. Your body will be replaced by a glorified one. There will be no more tears. There will be no more calamities. There will be peace when you wake up in the mornings on the new heavens and new earth. Right? I'm almost 40. I get up in the morning. I got to stretch. I'm getting to that age. Here it comes, right? I might stretch in the new heavens and new earth, but it'll be because I like it. It won't be because I'm going to hurt later in the day. <laughs> well, pastor, we've talked about persistent prayer today. What path are you talking about in the sermon title? Good question. The verse that concludes the whole section from Matthew 5.17 to Matthew 7.12 that forms the inclusio that I talk about, right? How everything we just talked about between these two verses is concerning the way the kingdom of God fulfilled the law and the prophets. It's all leading up to this. And it summed up everything in the golden rule. What's the golden rule? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's talk about the golden rule. I'll do my best to sum up this section. This is like we could cover this for two sermons, easy. Not going to do that to you. It's almost Christmas time. You, I'm not going to deck this place out in gold or anything like that. Talk about rules. First thing I want you to be aware of is the cultural context, okay? A saying like this was actually really well known in the old world. If you look at most other world religion, religions, most other religions have something like this that exists within their sacred texts. But there's a key difference, a big difference, between every other group that has a text like this and ours. What's the big difference? Theirs is all in the negative tense. What do I mean by that? This is what they, they're saying. Do not do anything to anyone that you would not want to do to you. Do not do anything to anyone that you do not want to do to you. Let's be real. Negatives, not a really hard thing to, to play out. Not a really hard thing to fulfill. Let's take some real life examples, right? If you don't enjoy being robbed, don't rob others. Profound. It's pretty simple, too, right? Right, Denny? How much effort have you put in this morning to not robbing anybody? None. He's so righteous. If you don't like being cursed at, don't curse others. If you don't like getting murdered, don't murder others. Again, all pretty simple. It's inactions that are promoted in a negative saying. <laughs> But the positive saying of Christ is very different. Imagine the golden rule being said like this. If you enjoy being appreciated, appreciate others. If you enjoy receiving things, give to others. If you enjoy being loved, love others. That's what the golden rule is saying. 
Here's the thing. The positive form is far more difficult. Think of it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we're honest, we have to be coaxed into these things many times. Hallmark invents holidays for us to buy things for one another, right? we got to be coaxed into it. Especially if that someone's hard. It's someone we have enmity with. Someone who's hurt us. But that's the exact type of person the golden rule applies to if you've been paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Bad news or good news first? Bad news, y'all. Bad news. Yeah. This is impossible. (laughs) Jesus has already categorized us honestly in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, who do evil, who love evil, who are wooed and go so far as to treasure evil, if we're able, think of it, we might be able to, to fulfill the golden rule on our best day. I hope at Christmas I nail the golden rule that day, right? But on my worst, damn. Now, I don't say that as a curse word. I say that as the fact of what I deserve when I don't fulfill the golden rule. Damnation. If you think you can keep the golden rule perfectly, you're out of your mind. Fact is, to keep the golden rule perfectly is to keep every subject we have talked about for the last two months perfectly. Because the commands we have covered for weeks are summed up in this. We cannot do the golden rule. We are incapable of living up to this standard. And a good father would be just to damn us to hell for the actions and inactions that we fail to do or actually do do. The positive ways in which we break the golden rule and the negative ways in which we break the golden rule. There's good news. It's not impossible for Jesus. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the inclusio, right? Jesus speaks of the law that we're to live, the way in which the kingdom of God will go forth into the world, the actions and ramifications of the kingdom of God that will have on the children of God as they spread salt and light into the world. Jesus fulfills the golden rule. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. There's the beginning of the inclusio. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. And this law is summed up in the golden rule. Jesus knows that in our state of sin, we are incapable of fulfilling the law of God, incapable of fulfilling the golden rule, and we need rescue from our sin, and we need power to live in in this kingdom. Jesus offers both. I love this reminder from Don Carson around Christmas time. It popped up on my Twitter feed earlier this week. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was a political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved sin, 
and our alienation from him and our profound rebellion, our death. And he sent a Savior. A Savior who rescues us from sin and empowers us for Christian living. If you are in Christ, he has begun to sanctify you and makes you more and more into his image. So much so that we, can, we begin to ask, seek, knock more often. We receive good things more often. Our anger begins to subside more often. Lust begins to be overcome more often. Oaths are not easily as broken. And love, love begins to pour forth. Not just to your friends, as non-believers are very capable of, but towards those we have enmity with. And as we offer them the same Savior. For those of you that might be in the room today that are outside of the family of God, while I think today's text is directed towards believers, especially in light of Luke's counterpart to this section in Luke 13, 24 through 30, I think the same principle applies in other passages of Scripture. Hear this. If you are not a Christian today but are exploring Christianity, hear this. There is a good Father in heaven who desires to know you, so much so that he would like to have a relationship of persistent prayer with you. He'd like to be with you regularly a path to walk with him. He offers you peace in this life that can be extended to others. Romans 10, 13 offers what you should do with the knowledge of this God and our need for him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sin. Believe the gospel. Call on the Lord to save you. And then enjoy a relationship where you get to ask, seek, knock on the door of the King of kings and Lord of lords and not be met harshly or flippantly, but are met in love as a good father loves his children. For those of you that are in Christ this morning, my guess is if you're like me, we've looked at the text of Scripture today, and you think, you know, I should pray for X, Y, or Z more. Maybe all of them, right? I, I, mine's much longer than X, Y, and Z, right? And I feel like it would be poor of me if I did not give you the opportunity to do that right now. Because if you're like me, you might forget about it later. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to take the next minute in silence, where I'm going to give you the chance to ask, seek, and knock for good things from your Father in heaven. And then I'll close us in a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me. Father God, 
we have many things that we need to pray for more diligently. We ask that you would help us pray for our family members who do not know you. May we pray for a richer walk with you. May we pray for our friends and neighbors that do not know you by name. May we pray for trials that we are going through and not lose hope. May we pray for miracles for our bodies when they hurt and not grow weary. May we pray for reconciliation in that relationship, and we all have that relationship, that needs a mighty act of God to move. Lord, you've given us this path to walk on as a gift of grace. You are a good God that desires to empower us to walk this path, to more and more live out the golden rule as we're salt and life, light in the world. And so, Lord, give us the patience to pray in a hustle and bustle world. May we not grow anxious. May we not grow weary. But may we be filled more and more with the Spirit of God and freely and openly shine that light forward to others. In your son's name I pray. Amen.